church. How many of y'all grateful for the blood of Jesus as we move into 2021? Amen. amen, amen. Well, turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 28, in your Bible or in your device, whatever you have this morning. Again, we want to welcome you if you're joining us online today for the first Sunday of the year. We're glad that you can be with us digitally. Uh, hopefully you've had a good first two days as we come into January 3rd. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew 28, Matthew 28, looking at verses 16 through 20, 16 through 20, the end of the Gospel of Matthew. We looked at the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew during Advent season, and now we're jumping to the end to bookend the uh, book of Matthew as we begin a new series called Renew the Vision, Renew the Vision. Hear the reading of God's Word from Matthew 28, beginning at verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen, amen. This is the word of the Lord. I want to tag our text today, healthy disciples. Healthy disciples. Let's pray before we jump in. Father, uh, thank you for a new year. Thank you for fresh starts. Thank you for renewed vision. Thank you for your grace that is new every morning, every week, every month, every year. God, as we celebrate today and gather in your name, whether it's in person or online, God, we know you're with us. Even as you said, I will be with you always, and that is today. And so we're grateful for your promises. We're grateful as we look ahead to a new year and uh, ask what you would have for us. We pray that you would make it clear. Give us clarity. Give us courage Give us the boldness to pursue you like we've never done before, individually and collectively as a church. God, we pray you would speak to us today in your word. Uh, help us to hear what the Spirit is saying through the scriptures, that we might glorify your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, have you ever gone to the grocery store and you were intending to get one thing and you come out with something different? It happens all the time, right? Yeah, buy one, get one. Those things are just deceptive. And the other day, me and my wife, we went to Greenwise, which opened up on the south side. Never been there before. It's Publix new uh, grocery store. And just wanted to check it out. Had no intentions of buying groceries, really. Just wanted to go. And we were going to get some pastries for the kids and have breakfast together. And so we go to Greenwise, again, no intention to buy anything but pastries. We start wandering around this fancy grocery store. They've got food I've never heard of, things from all over the world, organic things, you know, unique items, all kinds of stuff. We wander into the back of the store where the meat is, where the butcher is. And the butcher happened to be out talking to customers, and he calls me over, and he starts talking about their bacon. And I had never seen bacon like this. He says, this is organic, hand-cut bacon, thick sliced. And he pulls me over to their little case that displays all the different types of bacon. And it's 
in these rows with beautiful displays. And he says, this is the brown sugar bacon. This is the mesquite bacon. This is, you know, they've got about six different flavors and they're all spiced perfectly. He's talking about the bacon like it's a romance. And I had no intention of buying anything at the store until I saw the bacon. And he said, you just want one pound, right? Just, just one pound. Just try it. And so, all right, I'll try the bacon. And so this bacon, you know, it's probably twice the price of normal bacon. I don't know. But I end up getting the bacon. And today we're going to have the bacon. I haven't had it yet. But I'll tell you how it is. But it just looks beautiful. Looks beautiful. But I had no intention. No intention at all. I'm going into this place, and I, I broke the cardinal rule of the grocery store, especially when you're hungry. You have to write down what you're there to get and stick to the list, right? Yes. I had no list. There was nothing written down, but writing it down keeps you on task. It keeps you away from the distraction, sometimes good, sometimes bad. Well, it reminds me of a couple years ago, well, almost eight years now, when my wife and I were preparing to plant this church and we were sent off to what our denomination calls the assessment center. It sounds intimidating on purpose, I think. They, they send you to this place where they, they want to, you to spend about four days being analyzed and questioned and they're going to talk to you about your marriage, they're going to talk to you about your, your community, they're going to talk to you about your preaching, your leadership, every area of your life they want to evaluate to see how ready you are to start a new church. And so here we are with these groups of, of people who think they want to plant a church, and so they're sent off to this, this center to be evaluated, and they're doing these different exercises, and one of the exercises is they want you to write out your vision for your new church that you want to start. Put it on paper. The guy, the guy who's leading the session, he says, just write down what God has put on your heart for a new vision, for a new church. And so we're all writing things down and, you know, we're all ambitious, young, crazy church planters who think that they're going to change the whole world in this one little church. And so we're writing things that we don't know anything about. And it's wonderful. Like the, the air is just full of vision. And at the end of the exercise, the guy who's seasoned, right, he's been in church planting for 30 plus years. He comes to the, to the whiteboard and he starts to walk us through what we've talked about. And I'll never forget his wisdom. He says, it's great for you to write it down, but listen to me. The first five to seven years of your church, you're trying to figure out who you're becoming. It's after that time where you actually become it. Let me tell you, that is incredible wisdom. He said, the first five to seven years, you're, you're trying to figure out who you are, what you're becoming, what God is forming you into. And so he said, it's, it's great to write it down. Make sure you write it down, because if you leave and you start a church and you haven't written it down, you're going to end up, you know, in the bacon section or worse, like in the broccoli or something. I don't know. But you're not going to have any sense of direction. But when you write it down, be ready to rewrite it. Be ready to revise what you think the vision is, because God is still forming your church. God is still evolving, in, or your church is still evolving into what God wants for your church. And so be ready to rewrite it because the vision is shaped over time. And so today we're, we're starting a new series for the next four weeks called Renew the Vision. Somebody say renew. Renew the vision, right? So it's not a new vision, but it is a renewed vision. The last year, you know, 2020 has been a crazy year in many different ways and 
uh, as we had shut down public worship and went online for a while, our elders decided this would be a great time for us to kind of regroup and decide, uh, you know, what, what are we about? You know, let's, let's figure out what God has called us to do and be. And so we thought this might be the perfect time to start to rewrite some of the guiding statements for our church. Not because our church has, you know, shifted what we're about, but we've got a lot more clarity seven years in now. You know, when we wrote our original statements, it was 10 years ago, way before we even started. And so lots of things have changed. God has shaped us in different ways. And I believe we have a lot more clarity about who we are and who we want to be moving forward. And so we've decided to, to rewrite it. And so you'll see outside we've got new signage that kind of outlines what we're now calling our new mission motives and map. Mission being what we're about motives what people often call your values this is what motivates us this is what drives us and then the map is what uh, we believe god has called us to as a community to do these are the essentials these are the things that if you want to follow jesus at strong tower this is what it looks like to follow him it's a map towards healthy discipleship and so the next four weeks we're going to break that down we're going to look at all those different elements uh but Coming into this seven-year anniversary in April and, and coming out of 2020 where we need kind of a renewed vision as a church, we want to uh, look at what it means to be Strong Tower. And so our new mission statement is this. I'm going to say it and then I want us to say it back after I say it once. But our new mission statement is we make healthy disciples of Jesus who cultivate thriving communities. All right, so say it with me. We make healthy disciples of Jesus who cultivate thriving communities. That's it. So if, if people ask you or you're wondering what is Strong Tower about, it's that one statement. We make healthy disciples who cultivate thriving communities. And so today we're going to look first at healthy disciples. What is our vision for healthy disciples? If you're taking notes, it begins with three things, what we call grow, connect, and serve. So let's begin with grow. grow. Look at verse 18. It says this, and Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, this is the beginning of what many people call the Great Commission, right? This is the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. He's lived, he's died, he's risen again. And now, before he ascends to heaven, he ascends this mountain. And he comes on top of this mountain, just like Moses did in the Old Testament, where Moses was giving the law of God. Now Jesus gives what you might call the law of mission. This is what Jesus says, the one who has died for his church. This is his vision for the church. So you might have a different vision. You might have you know, what you think the church ought to be about. But this is what Jesus says about his own church. This is what you're about. Jesus says, this is what you're about. But before he tells us his vision, he makes this radical claim. He says, I've been given all authority. All authority. Right? He says, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth, all of it. And don't miss how incredible this is. This is a prophecy being fulfilled from Daniel chapter 7, where Daniel said this about the Messiah. He said, and, him, or, and to him was given dominion, and glory and a kingdom, his dominion is an everlasting dominion, right? Jesus is making a bold and radical claim that he is God. Nobody else in all the world can make that claim that I have all authority in heaven and on earth but God. 
And Jesus is saying, that's me. Right? The New Testament assumes it, and then it affirms it all throughout the letters, all throughout the Gospels. Colossians chapter 1, Paul says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Jesus is what we've called the God-man. That means he's fully God, he's fully man. 100% God, 100% man. He is fully divine and fully human. He's God over all things. And so if he is God, listen, if he is God, and he is, then he has all authority over every area of your life. Every area. Jesus is about to give us his vision for your life, for our church, and he says before he gives us his vision, don't forget, I own every part of your life. Every part. And what that means is to follow Jesus means you can't remain the same. You have to be changed in every area. And so I want to tell you, healthy disciples, this is the way we're, we're going to say it around Strong Tower, healthy disciples grow in the gospel. Healthy disciples don't remain the same, we grow. Right? The world's largest iceberg is currently on a collision course with an island off the coast of Antarctica. I don't know if you knew that. But I found out this week, I was reading this article that was talking about uh, an iceberg named A68. They didn't come up with a creative name, just a you know, letter combination. A68, the world's largest iceberg, apparently a few years ago broke off the coast of Antarctica and just a few weeks ago actually split in two. Now, get this, it is now floating down the ocean headed towards an uninhabited, at least by humans, island. It's full of animals, and it's massive. Like 95 miles long, 30 miles wide. It's larger than the state of Delaware. Just floating down the ocean, headed for an island. Now, this might sound like a catastrophic ending to a movie or something like that, but the scientists who are studying this phenomenon the last few weeks, they said they're not panicking. The reason why is because by the time it gets close enough to the island, it will bottom out. In other words, as the water gets more shallow, as it gets closer to the island, the bottom of the iceberg will hit the bottom of the ocean and it'll stop before it ever gets to the island. And here's why, if you know anything about icebergs, that makes perfect sense, is because the top of the iceberg, what you see above the surface, is actually only 10% of the iceberg. 10%. This massive uh, piece of ice floating down the ocean towards this island is 500 feet below the surface. 500 feet. There's more below than there is above. There's more below than there is above. Theologian J.I. Packer once said this. He said, the problem with North American Christianity is that we are 3,000 miles wide and one inch deep. One inch. 3,000 miles wide, but there's nothing below the surface. Let me ask you, does Jesus have authority over all of your life or just what can be seen easily? Does he have authority over the deeper things in our discipleship? This is why we have to go deeper in discipleship. This is what it means to grow, because there is 90% of your life that no one is seeing. There's 90% of your life that's happening in your heart. 
that's dealing with your motives, that's dealing with your intentions, that's dealing with your idols. There's, there's so much more below the surface. And Jesus says, I want that part of your life too. I want all of it. And so what we have to do if we're going to go deeper in discipleship is we have to deal with the issues that are going on in our marriage behind closed doors. If we're going to go deeper in our discipleship, we have to talk about how the pandemic has ruined many prayer lives. If we're going to go deeper in our discipleship, we have to talk about how we need community around us because we're struggling with depression and nobody knows. If we're going to go deeper in discipleship, we have to grow below the surface. And so there's going to be two ways that we do that this year. The first way is collectively, which is going to be through grow classes. Right? Grow classes are a, an avenue where we can be equipped for this deeper life of discipleship because there's other things happening at Strong Tower, lots of things happening at Strong Tower. You can be a part of a connect group, a DNA group, a serve team. You can be all kinds of things happening, but there's, there's not a place at this point until next week where you can have an easily accessible way to be equipped, specifically equipped for a deeper life with Jesus. That's what we want. We want to place a, a pathway, a clear pathway, where you can be equipped to read and interpret the Bible for yourself. We want a clear and easy path where you can be equipped to practice biblical justice, not justice based on the culture. We want a clear path where you can be equipped to understand what it means to have a Sabbath and, and have rhythms of prayer in your life. We want a place where you can go deeper in theology and know more than just the basics of what you believe. We want a place where you, where you can go deeper in these, and, and that's going to happen collectively. It's going to happen in community where we, in a class, can talk through things, and you can ask questions, and you can learn, and, and in community you can be equipped to go deeper in your faith. But then on an individual level, right, we're going to have what we've always had, which is an emphasis on personal worship or you might call devotions, or, or some other term for it, but it's this, this time where you can be with God. And, and we've had in the past the growth journal as a tool to do that, and we're moving to this new journal called the CBR journal, which is very similar, but it's inviting uh, us to be a part of the rest of our church planning network who also uses this journal so that we can be in community with the other churches locally in our area. But it's just another tool. That's all it is. There's, there's no magic sauce in any journal. It's the scriptures. It's time with Jesus that changes your life, right? So whatever journal you use or whatever tool you use, it's time with Jesus, but that's what you need. That's what I need. We need that daily time with him on a regular basis. You're, you're hearing the scriptures. You're listening to the scriptures. You're studying the scriptures. It's a tool that brings you into this deeper life. So you hear that? It's collectively. It's individually. That's what health looks like. That's our vision for your life, that you would be growing in those ways. And so it's together, right? Let's go beneath the surface together, and it's this togetherness that leads us to the next element, which is connect. Look at verse 19, connect. It, Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus makes clear right from the beginning of his, his statement what the core of our mission really is. It's make disciples. If anybody asks you, what is Strong Tower about? It's not social justice. It's make disciples. You'll see justice on our shirt, but that's not what we're about. We make disciples who do justice. We make disciples. Jesus says, this is what it means to follow me. Right? What does a disciple mean? 
A disciple is literally a follower. It's a student. It's a learner. It's somebody who's oriented their life around somebody else. And in this case, it's Jesus, which makes perfect sense why Jesus would then say, go therefore and make disciples, because you could better translate it as you go. As you go, right? It's a participle in the Greek, which means everywhere you go, wherever you go, if you're going to the grocery store, if you're going to your job, if you're going to your kid's school, if you're at your house, wherever you go, make disciples. This is an all-of-life vision. It's not just at church you make disciples. It's wherever you go, as you go, follow me and lead others to follow me. Right? This is Jesus' vision, and he gives a particular context for how we're going to live this out. Follow me, the local church. It's right there in the text. He says what? He says, I want you to go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Baptizing them. What is baptism? Baptism is the sign of the covenant community. This is the sign of the church that you are in the body. And so what Jesus is saying is this discipleship, this following that I'm calling you to, isn't a lone following. It's not a private religious experience. It's not an online entertainment system. He says this is community-based. Whatever that community looks like, it's the local church's community. I'll say it this way, it's impossible. Hear me, it's impossible to be a healthy disciple and be disconnected from the local church. It's impossible. You can be a disciple. You can follow Jesus. You probably make it to heaven, but you won't be healthy. Your life will be a disaster. It's impossible because healthy disciples connect with community. That's what it means. We can learn a lot from the Amish, I believe. Uh, For the past hundred years, the Amish have been famously resisting pretty much all modern advancements, right? They're famous for still using a horse and wagon and all these kind of odd things about the Amish community. And, and there's things, you know, they've rejected that we take for granted. Things like television or an automobile. But then, oddly enough, they'll accept things like modern medicine. And so there's been people over the years who've tried to study their thought and try to understand what's going on in the Amish community as they're making these decisions. And there's one guy by the name of Jameson Wetmore, who's a sociologist professor, who says in all his years of studying the Amish and their ways of life, he said it really comes down to this, that we are an experiment. Right? That's how they view the rest of society. I don't know if you knew that. But the Amish community views you as a lab rat. This is what happens when the iPhone comes out or any other technological advance, things like a microwave, things that maybe you take for granted, they step back and they watch. And they try to see what happens to the other humans as they interact with this piece of technology. And if it goes well, then they'll accept it. If it doesn't go well, they won't. And here's the guiding question. I thought this was fascinating. Here's their guiding question. Does it help or hinder our sense of community. Does it help or hinder our sense of community? I mean, what a powerful question. In the case of television and cars, they decided no. In the case of medicine, yes. They, they make their own decisions. I'm not saying you got to agree with them. I'm just saying what a powerful question. So this guy, this sociologist who was interviewing different people, he's He's doing his research. He asked one of the guys who's been living in in this community for his whole life. He says, so how's that working for you, that question? 
how do you think it's working? And, and the guy smiled, the Amish guy, he smiled and he looked back at him and he said, I don't know, you tell me, do you know your neighbor? I mean, what a powerful question. I'm not saying we got to be Amish. I can't even grow a beard. But I'm saying that question will transform your life. Will this help or hinder my sense of community? I mean, have you ever evaluated how your choices affect your sense of community? Have you ever even thought about that? What would it look like to ask about your daily and weekly choices, your monthly choices? Will this help or hinder my sense of community? I mean, I think we can ask it about pretty much anything. Our work schedule, we can ask it about our kids' sports games, we can ask it about our commitment to reading the Bible, we can ask it about our commitment to corporate worship, we can ask it about all kinds of things, our friendships that we have, anything in your life. Will this help or hinder my sense of community. I think too often, we just kind of go with the flow of life. We go with the flow of the culture. We, we don't want to look weird. We don't want to sound weird. We don't want to make decisions. We're just going with the flow. And so if something happens, it happens. And if we happen to bump into something spiritual, we'll bump into that. And we just go from this to that. And there's no sense of intentionality with community. There's no sense of relational intentionality. And so whatever happens, happens. And we end up treating the local church after so many bumps as maybe an elective, at worst, a burden. And I want to warn you that there is a real danger in growing without connecting. These three elements, grow, connect, serve, they, they work together for the health of our relationship with God and with one another. And so if you have growing without connecting, here's what's going to happen in your life. You will be isolated and arrogant. Because as the Bible says, knowledge will puff you up and you'll have no one to bring you back to reality. I love how Ray Allen said it last week. He said, if you want to think you're the greatest, spend no time with other people. Great. I mean, if you want to build your sense of arrogance, don't be around people. Or be around people who don't ever challenge you. That's what happens to all of us in our sin nature. What can happen is we start to read some good Christian books. We're consistent in our devotion time. We've got maybe a Bible study that we do with a couple friends or part of a book club. So we've kind of checked off the spiritual boxes and we feel like we're learning and we're growing, but... Where is the local church? I mean, how are you living out your covenantal vows of your baptism? And that's a question we don't ask. Where, where is the local church? Is it just something that is optional? Is it something that's an elective? Or is it something that keeps you close to Jesus? Because I, I believe the local church will keep you honest and humble. And here's why. I believe because God has designed it to be messy. God, this is how God has designed your sanctification happen. He wants you, who, who thinks that you're great, like, like all of us do, He wants you to be around a bunch of people who fail all the time and sin against you constantly so that you can be reminded that you're just like them. That's how, that's how He set it up. He, he wants you to be in the mess so that you can figure out that you're a mess so that you can deal with the mess that's below the surface. If you're not around people who are messy, you'll deal with just the 10% that everyone can see. 
But God has designed it in such a way that your sanctification will happen through sinners who are just like you. And you have to be around them. Now listen, I understand that this year has probably been the hardest year in the last century to have a real sense of community, right? I mean, the elephant in the room is we're online, right? We're, we're, we're at our house. We haven't left our house in months or you're here and, and you're in person, but you still aren't connected to people. You're not sure if you can handshake people even. I mean, it's been a hard year. There's been difficulties. There's been trauma. It's been isolating. But I want to remind you, even before the pandemic, real community has always taken effort. There is a lie within the local church that real community just kind of happens spontaneously. There's a lie that if, if it's going to be real friendship, then it should just be easy. I shouldn't have to put in effort. Now, the effort might look different in the middle of a pandemic. I'm not telling you what the specifics are. But I'm saying it's always been effort. It's always been that way. I was talking to someone uh, this past week who goes to our church and, and he was saying he's, he's felt connected or disconnected for a long time. And uh, he was wondering, you know, what should I do? And I said, well, are you in a connect group? And he said, no. I said, are you in a DNA group? He said, no. I said, do you serve on a serve team? He said, no. I said, well, I mean, if you only, let me tell you, I want to be very specific. If you only come to this building at 1030 on Sunday, you will be disconnected. If you only watch it online in your you know, living room on Sunday at 1030, you will be disconnected. There's no doubt about it. That, that's the way relationship works, that you have to put in. You have to put effort. The Bible says, make every effort multiple times throughout the New Testament, right? In the Bible, little hint, it is not a four-letter word, effort. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. You're not going to earn anything with God, but you can put some effort in. It's going to take some effort to have real relationship. And here's why that matters. Because, listen, you, uh, your relationships are worth that effort. Whatever it takes, right? If it's awkward and you're tired of Zoom and when Connect Groups start up in a couple weeks, you don't want to go to the Zoom meeting because you hate Zoom now because it's been nine months and you're tired of it, go anyways. Even if you don't like it, somebody in that Zoom meeting needs you. Somebody in that room that you're meeting outside or wherever you're at, it may not be about you at all, but somebody else needs you. And maybe, you know, your, your DNA group fell apart. It started a couple months ago and you haven't been meeting because it's hard. And meet outside, meet online, do whatever you've got to do. I don't know, but make it happen. Make every effort because your wholeness, your health is worth it. It's worth it. You have to have it. And if you're waiting for it to happen to you, it won't happen to you. You've got to put in the work. You've got to go for it. Okay, let's keep going. I've got to move. We're running out of time. Then the last element is serve. Look at verse 20. Jesus says, teaching them, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Right? There are some today who would define the mission of the church as, quote, just preach the gospel. We're going to deal with that a little bit next week. Uh, but what they mean by that is, in general, 
stick to spiritual things. And what that means, in, in, often, in oftentimes that means, uh, you know, stick to reading the Bible, stick to prayer, stick to your personal relationship with God, all the other stuff is not what Jesus is about. Now, we're going to talk more about that next week, but I want you to see this week in Matthew 28, Jesus right here from the very beginning of the mission says that's not what his vision is. He wants them to observe all that he's commanded. Everything that he said about loving God and loving your neighbor, that is what I've called you to do. So you as a disciple have been called into this holistic life with me. And so following Jesus is how it affects how we think, how we feel, how we act, its head, its heart, its hands, its grow, connect, serve, whatever you want to talk about, but it is all of your life. It's not just one segment of your life. So what it means to follow Jesus is I'm giving the whole self. I'm giving all of me over to him. And that's exactly what it means to serve, right? To, to serve Jesus means to give your whole life to him. Jesus said it this way. He said, take up your cross and follow me. Right? If your cross is to serve the poor, that's your cross. If your cross is to work at the hospital, that's your cross. If your cross is to care for your kids, that's your cross. Whatever your cross is, take it up and follow me with all of your life. You see that? All of your life is going to be taking up a cross. Whatever the serving is, to whoever we're called, Jesus is calling us to give away our life for the sake of his mission. Right? In other words, the call to follow Jesus is a call to serve, which always includes a cross. Always. That's Jesus' definition of health. That a healthy disciple serves on mission, even if it's a cross, because it's almost always a cross. And let me tell you, this is uh, countercultural. Completely countercultural, even in the church, right? The average churchgoer has what I would call a consumer vision of the church. I mean, we show up at a church and we want to know what do they have for my kids? What kind of small group activities are there? You know, what, what kind of chairs do they have? What's the music like? We want to see nice banners. We, we want to, I mean, to be honest with you, to be real honest, our ideal church in America is more like a Chick-fil-A than it is the New Testament church. I mean, it is. We want to go through, Chick-fil-A's got the, the drive through down. I mean, you are in and out, and at the end, they say, my pleasure. That's what we want. We want a quick service. We want no you know, discomfort. We want nothing where we have to give anything. We want to just be able to not even, not even speak into the microphone. We want to speak to a human. We want them to take our car personally. All, you know, it's just so perfect. It's consumer culture. And so the culture says consume Jesus says cross. This is very different. I don't know if you, ra- you see how radical this is. Jesus doesn't say, take up your comfort and follow me. He says, take up your cross and follow me with all of your life. That means your life is going to be full of giving yourself away to the point of emptiness. That's his vision. And listen, this is what Jesus says is healthy. Healthy. Just a few days before Jesus uh, had gathered with his, his disciples one last time to celebrate the Passover meal. It was their last meal, and you know it's often called the Last Supper. And 
what's ringing in the ears of the disciples is, who is this man? This is the question they've been asking for three years. They've been walking with Jesus, trying to figure out his strange parables and why does he always heal people and then teach things and then he disappears for a little while and then he shows up and he's angry with with people who are selling things. I mean, Jesus is just strange. Who is this man? How does he do all these things? And as they're discussing this, trying to figure out who Jesus is and what their place is going to be, Jesus rises up from the table, and he's in the greatest position. He's in the position of honor. He gets up from the table, he walks over, and as he's walking over, he starts to undress. He starts to take off his outer garments, and he walks over to the corner of the room, and Peter kind of glances and catches him by the corner of his eye, and he asks himself, what is Jesus doing? Because this is odd. He's taking off his clothes. We're in the middle of dinner. Then he grabs a towel and wraps it around his waist, but it's not just any towel, it's the servant's towel. The house servant who is serving them. He takes his towel. And then he walks over and he grabs the servant's bowl, this little basin of water. He kneels down before the table and he begins to wash their feet. I mean, he's washing off the nasty yuck off the road. He's washing off the dust and the grime. He's washing off the feces that were in the road. He's washing off all kinds of nasty stuff. One by one, each disciple, he's washing their feet until the basin is like mud. It's so dirty. And then he gets to Peter. And everybody by then is speechless because no one's supposed to do this. The only people who wash feet are Gentile slaves. The Jews, it was illegal to wash feet because that was below every Jew. Here's Jesus washing feet. And Peter, of course, everybody's speechless. Peter speaks. What does Peter say? He says this. He says, Lord, do you wash my feet? You will never wash my feet. I mean, Peter is saying, there's no way I'm going to serve somebody who looks like that. There's no way I'm going to give my life to somebody who's so menial and, and, and low. Why, why would I serve somebody who's at the lowest of the low already? That means I'm below them. Jesus, get up off the ground. Be who you are. Aren't you the Messiah? I mean, Peter had just said he was the Christ. Jesus gently rebukes him. Jesus says this. He says, I'll, uh, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. You have no share with me. Jesus is saying to Peter, this is not about feet. This has nothing to do with feet. This is about your soul. This is not about feet. This is about your life, Peter. This isn't about feet. This is about your sin. You need to be washed because you are filthy. And the only way that you can be washed is if I serve you. The only way that you can be brought up is if I go down, Peter, and so I have to go to the lowest of lows where you are, Peter, so that I can lift you up. Out of your sin, out of your misery, out of your shame, out of your guilt, I have to go that low to get you. You have to be washed. The only way that you can be healthy is if I get dirty. And so Peter says, well, then wash me. Wash me all you want. I mean, listen, the disciples have to move downward because that's where Jesus is. He's at the low place. 
the place of the cross, the place of your sin, the place of your suffering, the place of your shame, the place of your greatest weakness. This is the promise of the mission that Jesus gives in the end. He says, behold, I will be with you always. I'll be with you when you're high. I'll be with you when you're low. I'll be with you at all times, especially in the low place. I'll be with you. I'll be with you when you're worn out. I'll be, given, I'll be with you when you've given all you had. I'll be with you when you've served until you have no strength. Always He is with you. He is with you at the bottom because He went before you. He went before you to save you. He went before you to serve you so that He could bring you up. He went there to be with you and to never leave you. As we close today and we open up a new year, I just want to remind you that the good news of the gospel as God calls us into his mission is I am with you. I'm with you when you're failing to grow in your faith. I'm with you when you're isolated and struggling with depression. I'm with you when you're serving and you're all out of energy and you don't know what to do. I am with you always. I've gone before you and I'll be with you to the end. It's me. That's what Jesus is saying. It's me doing my mission through you. And so he invites us to the bottom. He invites us to the lowest place. Let's go there with him. Father, thank you for today. Thank you that you have spoken to us uh, in such a clear way in Matthew 28 about what you want for us in your church. Thank you for the vision that you have for a church that would be growing and connecting and serving and that we would be whole and healthy because of our relationship with you and others. Lord, I pray as we move into a new year that you would bring about this health, bring about this flourishing in our lives personally and collectively as a church. May you get all the glory out of it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.